thing. Man, I was sitting down there being wrecked by the worship and the emotions of I don't even know these people. And I'm like, oh my word. And at first they thought the pastor was going to resign. And I was like, this is awkward. <laughs> so I was really glad that didn't happen. <clears throat> I, yeah, you guys too, right? <laughs> I'm so excited to be with you guys this morning. I have been looking forward to being here for how long, Beth? Like forever, my whole life. Yeah, Beth has told me for my whole life that I need to come. So I am honored to be here. I do work for the national office, which is eh, whatever. It's kind of an awesome job. Um, but even if you don't know the Alliance, I am passionate about kids and I'm passionate about you guys. And I'm passionate about the church and what God desires to do in the church. This is also my second time this uh, month speaking in a church that said, oh, well, we were hoping we'd be in our new building. So... <laughs> I'm kind of used to this, so we're good. And I actually think all these new buildings are figments of your imaginations. <laughs> so as far as I know, I haven't seen a one of them yet. And all the construction site pictures look the same to me. <sighs> Just saying. <laughs> oh boy, we're going to have fun this morning, I can tell. You guys are so lively. It's, don't you know it's morning? It's so early. <laughs> It's an, I live in Iowa. It's an hour earlier there. And when my alarm went off this morning, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And then I prayed for like 20 minutes, and I got my heart in the right spot to come speak to you. And I had some coffee, so we're all happy for that. But I'm excited for what God desires to do in you and through you and what he's already doing um, I love coming into a place where I sense God's presence. Um, I love that I don't have to fabricate it or, or like conjure it up because he is a God who's already here. And he is a God who is with us. And I love that. I love as we just worship him. And as I was, I was worshiping this morning, trying to change my attitude about the morning, I, uh, I was so grateful for his sacrifice. So grateful that he calls us and loves us. And he has good plans for us. This is a God that we serve. This is a God that I get excited about. So I do, we're going to talk a little bit about kids this morning. But I have the preacher in me, and I can't get it out. And so... We are going to actually go into the Word as well, and we're going to see what God might have for you. So if you're thinking, oh, I don't even like kids, that's okay. <laughs> so sometimes I don't either. <laughs> so they're cruel sometimes. So, and they're just strange. One kid guessed my age about a month ago. He goes, are you about 80? <laughs> I resigned my job. So I was like, this is aging me too quickly. <laughs> But whether you like kids or not, I'm not really interested in that. I am interested in us being the church that God has designed us to be. And by church, I mean the body of Christ. Okay? And I do believe that God has called us to be uh, this, these called out ones in this dark world. And I think a lot of us would rather live over here. Because the more that our world shifts, the more that it's really hard to live kind of a quiet, oh, I'll just go with whatever anyone says life. So the more there's kind of becomes this like separation and it's difficult and it's hard. And can you imagine what it's like for kids? You know, I, I think, and I'm not that old, thank the Lord yet, although the wisdom is nice. I'm like, oh, look at the gray hair. It's very nice. Um, but things have shifted so much even since I was a kid. And the stuff that kids are dealing with today would blow your minds and it would break your hearts, which it probably should 
Because I always think, you know, shouldn't our hearts break for what breaks the heart of our Father? And so these kids are in this tough spot, and, and yet we are the church. And one phrase that will always frustrate me is when people say, kids are the church of tomorrow. That is so annoying because they are the church of today. They are not the church of tomorrow. Yes, they will be our leaders tomorrow, all that good stuff. But they're the church of today, which means this. They are contributing members to the body of Christ right now. And we don't wait for them to come to a certain age because they don't receive an age-appropriate Jesus. Okay? They don't receive a miniature Holy Spirit. In Acts, it says um, the Holy Spirit will come, and this will be for you and for your children. Not once they hit age 12 or once they stop being stupid as teenagers. But hey, it's for right now. I'm sorry, teens. I know, I just offended. Like, I see that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to get nasty tweets and Snapchats and all sorts of things. You're not stupid. You're just figuring life out. So it's okay. Most of us have that issue as well. But God says, no, I, you know, I'm sending my son. I'm sending this Holy Spirit for you and for your children. And this is a God that we serve that doesn't wait for people to get it. Aren't you, good that God, aren't you glad that God didn't wait for you to get to a certain IQ level before he said you could accept him? I mean, some of you would not have made it. <laughs> and I haven't been here that long, but I can already tell. Like, and I would have been with you. Like, man, we're so close. Aren't you glad that God didn't wait for you to clean yourselves up before he met you? God meets us in the pit. He must, meets us at the end of ourselves. And what I love about this God we serve, that he doesn't wait for us to, to get it together. And he doesn't ask for us to get it together. He goes, man, you know what? <laughs> In this world, you will have troubles. And he says, you are a cl fragile clay jar. And this makes it evident that God's power is at work within you. If you came in this morning feeling fragile, feeling like you're not sure about this Christian life, feeling like, man, you just can't do this, you are in a really good spot. <laughs> because, amen, we can't do it. When I was, I was driving here this morning, I was just turning the music off, and I was like, God, I just, this is your morning. I'm here to be used by you. And I have no other words than the words that you give me. And out of obedience, I come and I speak, but not because I have something to offer, but because I want to come as a broken vessel, right? And so that's my prayer. So I'm going to pray for us. And I have, a, I have this thing, I speak to kids a lot, and my thing is this. I feel like it's my job when God calls me to come and speak to speak, but you get to be, have a job as well, which means you have to be active participants, which means you don't just get to sit there and be like, oh, man, is she done yet? I mean, you can do that, but do it quietly. Um, and don't hold up, like, time signs or anything. Um, and so you are here on purpose. God has you here for a reason, you woke up on time for a reason, and God has something for you. So as an active participant, would you ask God to teach you something this morning? So can we just bow our heads in a moment of silence and just prepare your heart for what God might have for you today? God, we come broken and we come needy and we come desperate for more of you. And we come admitting that we need you, admitting that we desire 
to receive something from you. So this morning is about you. Thank you for already meeting us here. Thank you that you are present. Thank you that you love us. God, would you teach us something today? And may it surprise us. Because God, we don't want to ever stop learning about who you are. In your name we pray, amen. So I'm going to give you a little peek into some kids. Some kids. Every summer I speak at kids camps. Uh, I'll be at Beulah this summer. I'm super excited about that. Um, I don't know when. Everybody asks me. I have no idea. It's on my calendar. So you can find it on my website. But I'm going to be there. I spend about, mm, you know, four, five, six weeks every summer at camps. And it's like the greatest, most terrifying experience of my entire life. Because camp is tough, but it's so fun. It's like this beautiful mixture of why God, why, and oh, look at what God did. And so it's a tough one. Usually about this time of year, I'm like, man, I'm excited for camp. I forget that for six months, I was like, oh, I'm never doing camp again. I'm still tired. So every year I talk to kids and we do camp. I did my 30th camp at Delta Lake uh, in August of last year. And every time I speak, I give chance, kids a chance to respond to what God is saying. And I love it because, number one, it gives me great feedback because kids will never respond to you uh, very positively. So they're never going to come and be like, oh, Miss Mel, you have a gift. <laughs> Whew, you blessed my heart this morning. Thank you, sister. Never, ever. They're like, did you know there was a bug on the wall? Did you know you had a booger coming out of your nose? That whole time, Miss Mel, it was up, it was down, it was, okay. Now, the thing is, I don't even make up this stuff because that's all happened to me. But they don't. So it gives me great insight into what they're getting. It also is a chance for kids to respond to what God is saying to them. Because as adults, we're really quick to hurry kids along. And we're really quick to give them information, give them information that we forget that they need space to receive and be transformed. And so we do this. So the first one, I'm just going to, they write these on cards. The first one is this, pray for me to love my dad. And you guys, the heart of a kid, I have 2,000 of these note cards. I'm becoming a hoarder, and I might be on that show one day, um, but only in one room because that's just gross otherwise. But I, these, these cards are so precious to me. And what I do after I speak is I go, what does God have for you? Go and do business with God. And they'll come up, and I'll put string and note cards out for them, and they'll like clip their little prayers to God on, on little pieces of string, and we'll like create a space for them. If I was doing that for you, you would be like, what does she mean, do business with God? Do I get up? Do I sit down? What if this woman doesn't move? She looks like she's praying. She's sleeping? Maybe she's sleeping. I don't know. I don't have a pen. Kids are like, okay, I'll do business with God. And they go. That's why I like kids. Adults wear me out sometimes. I'm like, just get up. So they go and do business with God. But this, and this is the stuff that they're just going, this is what's on my heart. Don't you love the heart of a child? God, pray for me to love my dad. I don't even know the story behind that, but I love the honesty of a kid. I love it. Next one is this. Pray for me to have courage. And the reason I'm showing you some of these is because I want you to see yourself in these kids. There's nothing that a kid has written that I as as an adult haven't gone, oh, I've wondered that too. One kid wrote, how do I fully die to myself? What kid asked that? I was like, dear kid, I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. But the heart of a kid, pray for me to have courage. Next one is this, are you real? Because I want you to be. I know, seriously, I know I cry every time I look at that one. Um, 
What we encourage kids to do is be honest. Kids have amazingly giant questions about who God is. And it's very rare that they have a safe place where they can ask them. Church sometimes isn't. Thankfully, you've got an amazing children's director, right? Kind of love her. She's kind of amazing. She got me coffee, snacks. I mean, my love language is gifts, so I'm like, praise the Lord. She loves me. But a lot of churches, it's not a safe place to come and ask questions. You have to kind of have it figured out. And kids are going, I have all these questions. And we as adults go, but I have an agenda. <laughs> and they're like, but, but I need to know this. And so at camp, we give them space. And they say, they, I say, you know what? If you're not sure if God's for real, ask him. And you know what? The great thing about the God we serve is I don't have to panic about that, right? I don't have to answer that. That's God's job. And if God's going to prove it, he'll do it. So are you real? Because I want you to be. We have so many kids who write that. And it's almost like this, I dare you. <laughs> and I think God is like, yeah, baby, here we go. This, that was the beginning of the week. Next one is this. End of the week, same kid. You have showed me you exist. Thank you. I know, right? I cried and cried when I read that. Sometimes I still do, but I'm trying to hold it together because I already cried once this morning. <laughs> you have showed me exist. You exist. Thank you. These are where kids are at. I'm going to give you a couple more. These, these aren't as happy. Number one, next one is this. I've always wanted to commit suicide, and I want it to stop. He's 10. His name is Dylan. I actually just was able to talk with his mom last month, and I said, how is Dylan? And I don't give details. And she goes, you know what? He was going through a really dark time. And I'm like, yeah. She goes, he's so much better. He's doing so well. But again, the honesty of a kid, to write that down, I want it to stop. And there's just the honesty that they, they don't jazz this up. It's not like, dear Heavenly Father Almighty. It's like, uh, could you make it stop? Kids come to God in a way I think we adults forget we can do. They come broken, they come needy, and they go, here I am, God. Do something. And I think God delights in that. Next one is this. Dear Lord... Oh, I went past it. Please forgive my dad for abusing me. And if I visit him again, please help him to remember not to abuse me so he doesn't go to jail. Doesn't that kill you? I hate that one. And yet, what I see in there is, again, the beauty of a kid. Look at their prayer. <laughs> They're praying for their dad. They're praying for the guy who abused them. They're praying for the person that hurt them. Kids have the ability to love and forgive on a level that we as adults have forgotten or need about five years of therapy to get to. They're on it. And I love that he says, help him to remember not to do it again so he doesn't go to jail. The heart of a kid, it goes, I just want my dad. I just want it, my dad. I don't want him to hurt me again. And it's not even about me, it's about him. Kids are so cool. They're so cool. Last one is this. Dear Lord, uh, tell me if I am here for a reason and teach me how to spell because, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty glaring. At first I thought it said raisin. I was like, oh, he's a special one. Bless his heart. And then I figured it out. But don't you love that? How many of you have wondered, God, am I here for a purpose? Why am I here? And you've got a seven-year-old guy saying, God, tell me if I'm here for a reason. Does that not blow your minds a little? And I don't tell you all this because I'm going to say, we need you to serve in the kids' ministry. Now, we probably do. 
But I'm here to tell you that these kids that you see as they file out are real people who have deep questions about who God is and who are so hungry for more of God. Everywhere I go, I ask kids, how many of you lay in bed at night and think of questions about who God is? Every single kid says me all the time. Every kid. And these aren't special Christian kids. These are kids. God has created this innate hunger within us, right? Because we were created for relationship with him, and that was broken. So within us is this desire for more, this desire for something bigger, this desire for relationship. So kids who have not even heard are going, what about God? And these are the kids that you get to serve, that you get to be a part of, that you get to watch walk out. And what's your purpose with them? What, what's, what are we here for? And my big thing is like, be the church. Let's be the church. The church that's a body of Christ. My, my little niece, and I used this yesterday. My niece, she's five. She's hysterical. I call her love bug. She calls me boy. Um, we're working on it. Um, it's kind of frustrating me. She's, her new thing is, hey, boy. I'm like, no, no, Auntie Mo is a girl. So anyways, <laughs> she doesn't believe me. So but what, since the time she was like two or three, her favorite thing is when all her family's together, as much family as possible. She's so cute. She's, so, she's me incarnate, which is why we fight. Have you fought, ever fought with a toddler or a five-year-old? Don't you just feel ridiculous? They're this big. And you're like, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. I'm like, I can put you in time out right now. So she's, she, her favorite thing is when family is together. This is what she does. She does it all by herself. She gets everyone together, and she puts her arms, her tiny little arms around our necks, and she yells because she likes to yell. She's like her auntie. She yells, we are family. We are family. And it's like her happy place, and it hurts a little on my end. <laughs> and she yells this out, and I keep thinking, what a clear picture of what the church should look like. We are family. We do life together. Whether it is messy or perfect, we're family. She doesn't go, Miss, or Auntie Mel, you, you didn't brush your teeth, or you don't look like you have it all together, or you're cranky. She goes, we're family. I'm so happy. And then she goes, I love myself. <laughs> Not too worried about the self-esteem of that one. <laughs> but she goes, we're family. Isn't that what we're supposed to look like? I think so. I think that's what the church is called to look like. We're family. And I love that as I walked in, I already had that family feel. I love that the pastor's sharing part of his heart, and you all are just, oh, you know, and I'm like, I don't know, and I'm family, and I'm so upset about all of this. I don't even know what's happening. But it's like a joyful upset. That's what family does. You're welcome here. Let's bring you into what's going on. I actually was a little bummed the kids missed that. So I thought, oh, that would have been good for them to see. Kids need to know that we have emotions. They need to know that things are tough. So let me give you this. There's 2.3 billion kids in the world. All right, let's say that again. 2.3 billion. How many of you are glad they're not all right here? <laughs> well, yes, especially Beth. <laughs> She's like, oh, Lord. <laughs> 2.3 billion, that's a lot of kids, and I don't need to tell you that that keeps getting larger because you can figure that out on your own. But the number is going up. Here's the deal. 800 million, next slide, have never heard the name of Jesus. 800 million. And what's easy to do and what we're really good at, church, and I, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm an alliance pastor's kid. I'm a grand missionary kid. I don't know if that's how you say that. My grandparents pioneered the field for the alliance in Germany. 
And then after 20 years, they're like, we're going to Hong Kong. And they went to Hong Kong for eight years because that's the same culture. They're amazing. My parents are amazing. My dad's still an alliance pastor. My mom is a youth pastor. She's turning 60, and we have 100 youth that are actively involved in small groups and discipleship. It's amazing. So when I make fun of the church, I come from a very real spot because I've been there. And I'm not making fun of us so much as calling us out because we're really good at going, oh, somebody should go take care of those kids. We should probably send someone. Thank goodness we have Beth. I'm going to get her a Starbucks gift card this week. (laughs) We're good at it. Or we'll be like, Sister Beth, I am praying for you. I can't serve right now. I'm not feeling the Lord leading that way. So we're good at that. I know some of you are like, ow, I just said that to her. (laughs) I'm not calling you out. She didn't give me a list of names or anything. But we're good at this. And what we're good at is going, those kids must be somewhere else. And so we often think it's a missions problem. We've got to get people overseas. But the fact is the U.S. is in the top 10 countries with the most unreached kids in the world. They're right here. And they may know the name of Jesus, but how do they know it? It's a cuss word. Doesn't that aggravate you? Yeah, it did me too. I was on a plane, and I'm always on a plane. I'm on the road about 200 days a year, which I love Um, sometimes. Sometimes I don't. And I'm on this plane, and this kid, I sit down, kid gets on in front of me, and he's just this cute little trying to become a teenager, but just really angry about life kid. And his his, um, backpack gets stuck on the seat. And so he's trying to yank it, and he, like, you know, uses the Lord's name in vain. He's like, Jesus, you know, whatever. I'm not going to actually curse in church. So he says this, and he sits down in front of me, and I'm like, oh, oh, I can't believe he did that. Oh, mm -mm." And so I'm sitting there, and don't you hate when God convicts your heart? It's so annoying and inconvenient. (laughs) And I'm just, like, sitting there, and the Lord's like, "Um, hey, you don't know his story. And I was like, Lord, I'm angry on your behalf. <laughs> I'm like, it is a righteous indignation. Could you just flash back to your time in the temple? That's what's going on right now. <laughs> and and the, the sweet God that we serve doesn't laugh at me. I'm sure he does at times, but he's like, you don't know his story. And it totally convicted my heart because I thought, how quick am I to judge? How quick am I to judge? And we do that all the time. <gasps> they use the Lord's name in vain. They don't know. <laughs> and God said, God was like impressing on my heart, he may not know my name. And I did, did something that kind of was weird, but I didn't do it too weird because I have enough weird issues as it is. And I put my hand just on the back of his seat. I, wasn't, I didn't stand up and was like, holy father. <laughs> That's just not my thing, and it freaks people out. But I just carefully, as people were still boarding the plane, I put my hand on the back of a seat, and I prayed over him. And I thought, I may have been the only person in this kid's life to ever pray for him. That is the world we live in. These kids don't know, and they don't have advocates. They don't have people standing in the gap for them. We're called to be that. Whether you like kids or not, you don't even have to work in the children's ministry to pray over a kid you see on the street. And I can't tell you the impact that makes. I can't tell you the kind face difference it makes when you have a kind face instead of scoffing at a kid. 
it can be life-changing. And I really mean that. Kids are so impressionable and so soft and so ready to receive that a smile instead of indignation can actually impact their life. And there's this beautiful power in that, but these kids don't know. They're everywhere. I moved next door. I bought a house in Iowa because that's where God has me right now, and I keep telling him, like, anytime, Lord. Uh, it's Iowa. But <laughs> nothing yet. Maybe some of you feel that way about Ohio. I don't know. So I'm praying, and I, I get this house, buy a house. Real estate is cheap because it's Iowa. And um, <laughs> nobody lives there. And I moved next door to two sets of twin girls. 17 and 9. So you can pray for that family. And the 9-year-olds have become my besties. They're hilarious. Uh, they FaceTime me almost every day when I'm gone. They cry when I'm not there. We're working on that. I'm like, stop it. Stop. You're fine. I'm like, go play outside. So they come over all the time. I had knee surgery, two knee surgeries in December. Merry Christmas to me. And um, I was on crutches, so I couldn't decorate like, for Christmas. So the girls came over and they helped. They know where everything is in the house and the key. They know how to get in. And whether I answer or not, they come on in. Uh, and they'll be like, you didn't make your bed. I'm like, why are you in my bedroom? Like, shouldn't there be a limit? But I love them. So they come in and we're decorating the Christmas tree. And the one little girl goes, um, what is this man on a boat with all of these animals? And I'm like, I'm laughing because I'm like, oh, I said, that's Noah. And she's like, who's Noah? They don't know. I was blown away. I'm the national blah, 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 and I needed to be schooled in the fact that kids next door to me don't know Jesus and don't even have a base knowledge of who he is. So we explained the story of Noah, and they were like this. That's amazing. I was like, you know, it actually is amazing. That's pretty cool. And now they have these questions. For Christmas, they got a Roku player, and they're like, Miss Mel, we're watching Veggie Tales at home. I'm like, what? So cool. They're like, just because they know that it's real. Like, we talked about this is a true story, it's a piece of history, it actually happened. So they're like, did they really throw slushies on those people? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they didn't. <laughs> and Dave was not a tiny asparagus either. <laughs> but they're so hungry. Let me tell you this. Next slide is this, a 414 window. The largest unreached people group in the world today is kids, ages 4 to 14. Back in the day, do you remember the 1040 window? Yeah. 1040 window was a spot on the map where we said, oh, this is where the largest unreached people groups are. So that came out in the 80s, and we went after it. And we sent missionaries, many of you remember. We, we collected stamps, and we prayed. We had all sorts of strategies. New research, same researchers said, there's a new window. It's the 414 window. And they said it's no longer geographic, it's demographic. It's kids. Which, I'll be honest, is freaking people out. They don't know what to do with it. Especially at the missions level, they're going, boy, how do we... Because uh, we're used to being able to send someone to a destination, but to send someone to a demographic is a lot more difficult. Which I kind of love the challenge because that means more of us mobilizing where we are to reach our community. Because we're all called to be missionaries, which just means being salt and light in a dark spot, which I think you got right here. But missions organizations are going, we, we thought we were reaching kids. What, what's going on? And then they call me, and I'm like, uh, you weren't. 
because the next slide is this, we've lost a generation and we're losing another one. Our millennial generation, they're about 20 to 34, 35-year-olds, 50% of them who grew up in the church have walked away from the church, actually over 50. Raise your hand if you can think of someone close to you that has walked away from the church in that age room. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard for me to talk about that because it's my age range. We won't tell you where I am, but I'm pretty much almost not a millennial anymore, and, uh, which hurts. And uh, it's tough for me because, and I, t- I know it's tough for you because for some of you, these are your kids or they're your grandkids or they're the kids that you discipled and poured into and you're going, what? <laughs> and millennials are walking away. Some of them aren't walking away from Jesus. They're walking away from organized church. And they're going, I don't, wanna, I, don't have, I don't want anything to do with this. Now, I get to speak to millennials and I love it because I'm like, how about you do a little less complaining, a little more contributing? Because we, we need fewer millennials to break off and go, I'm just going like, to compose songs in the coffee shop while I grow my beard and wear my skinny jeans. And, uh, right? Brings me joy to make fun of them. We need fewer of them to do that and more of them to go, this is really hard, but I'm called and committed to the body of Christ. Therefore, I will be an agent of change. So I call them to that. But our reality is our millennials have walked away and they are doing something really cool right now. They're procreating. And so they're having the children, and their kids are in that 414 age group. Coincidence that they're the largest unreached people group? No. Pretty much makes sense. When Generation X had kids, they came back to the church. It was kind of a, oh no, (laughs) take it to church. Millennials are not bringing their kids to church. Grandparents are bringing their kids to church. And I wonder who stands in the gap. I wonder. And if you're a grandma or grandpa who brings your kids, your grandkids, bless you. And I mean that because you stand in the gap for these kids. And you are blessed and highly favored. And don't ever underestimate your impact on your grandkids. Because God has called you and he's using you, whether you live close or far. But church, we got to wake up. we got a problem. <laughs> we are losing these kids. Now, obviously, I'm making grand, you know, kind of grand statements. We haven't lost all of them. We're not losing all of them. But the trajectory is pretty concerning. Thankfully, my big uh, message from God in the last year has been this, um, that I don't serve a God who says, oops. Right? I don't serve a God who goes, oh, no. I did not see that one coming right? He's not going, oh, I had no idea the millennials wouldn't want to be in church. He is aware and he is already working. And so the cool thing is we don't have to go, what will we do? What will we do? God's already got it figured out. Our role is to go, God, how do you want to use me? What do you have to do in me? So let's look at a couple of scriptures. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. You can turn there if you want. I won't, I don't have it up on screen. That takes a lot more planning than I actually am physically and mentally able to do in my life because I don't plan well. So, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, you're going to know this, right? This is all about the commandments, and, and what it's saying is this it's saying, Listen, O Israel, this is verse 4, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And it's saying, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and all your strength, and you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. And it goes on and on. And what's really interesting is a lot of times we use this and go, parents, you got to step up. And parents, you do need to step up. Your kids are not going to develop into mature Christians by osmosis. You have to be intentional with your kids. You also have a lot coming at you. And the church should be here to come alongside you, not lead the way in the spiritual formation of your kids. You lead the way. Good or bad, you lead the way. So you're either doing it well or you're not, but it's, you're still leading the way. So yeah, parents, we need you to be intentional. We need you to talk to your kids. I talk to so many kids who I know who their parents are leaders in the church, and they go, I don't think my parents are Christians. And I say, why? Because I don't know their story. Have you told your kids your story of how you came to know Jesus? So we look at that and go, parents. Here's the deal, though. If you look back at verse 4, it does not say, hear, oh, parents. What does it say? Who's that audience? You can talk out loud to me. Israel. I'm used to people talking to me. Listen, oh, Israel. Hear, oh, Israel. It's a call to the community of faith. And suddenly, every one of you sitting in this room does not get a free pass. Because it's saying, listen, O Israel. It's saying, we are family. We do life together. We pass on faith. Which is great, beautiful, glad, good tidings for these kids whose parents have no faith. But we as a community of faith are called to pass on faith. And if you look further, you look in the Gospels, and it's so funny because it's, I think it's funny because Mary and Joseph lose Jesus, and I find that funny because I would be calling, like, DHS on them, like, hey, lost the son of the living God. <laughs> you know, Emmanuel is no longer with us. <laughs> so they lose him, and they can't find him. And here's what's interesting. If you look in the Gospels, it says that they, didn't, they weren't worried right away. Why? Because they assumed he was with the company, which means this. They, the Hebraic community did life together. We're family. And they assumed he was with the company. They assumed he was with the family because this idea of it really does take a village. It really does take all of us. And then when they realize, ah, he's not here, <laughs> And they go and find him. And I love the sarcasm because Jesus is so 11 at that point. 11 or 12, he's like, duh, didn't you know I would be here in my father's house? I'd be like, you get down here right now. I'm not going to beat you in the Lord's house, but you are in big trouble right now. But he's so 11. He's like, didn't you know? Meanwhile, Mary's probably sobbed for days. I've lost him. I've lost the one that God gave me. I don't even know how I got him and I lost him. But he's so 11, he's like, didn't you know I'd be here? But here's what's interesting. It was this idea of we do life together. Fast forward to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, I love, love, love. It's so cool. It goes on and on, but I really like the beginning part. It's all good. Let's clarify that. It's all good. But the whole idea here is about telling the next generation. And what's really cool is you don't have to have good curriculum. You don't have to have all of the answers. You just have to be willing to share your story. It's so simple. And it talks about this in um, uh, verse 4. It says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. 
about his power and his mighty wonders. It goes on to verse 6. It says, so that the next generation might know them. That's kind of the tag life I want for my life. So the next generation might know. Even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. Verse 7, so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. It goes further on, and it starts to talk about these people who walked away. And it says in verse 11, they forgot what he had done. They had forgot the great wonders he had shown them. How do you forget in a, in a story community? They didn't go to Google, what has God done lately? You forget because nobody tells you. You forget. Nobody passes down faith. Story and your story of faith and the good deeds that God has done in your life and the hard things are how we pass on faith to the next generation. And they forgot. And it goes on, you know, when you read, if you ever get bogged down in like the judges, because I do, um, being honest, not as much as Leviticus, but judges for sure, it tells so-and-so was king, and immediately after that, it tells one thing. He or she, it never she, he did right or wrong in the sight of the Lord. And how do you forget? Because nobody tells you. We're called to pass on faith. There's great beauty in the Psalm 78 because we all have a part. And you go, well, what does that look like? And we've talked a little, about, about a little bit about it. You can pray over these kids. You don't need to be weird about it. You see them and you whisper a prayer under your breath. You can volunteer. You can give a high five. You can get down on a kid's level and say, what is the coolest thing that happened today? Or what happened this week? You can go on Saturday to one of their basketball games or their soccer games. You can hang out. The big thing you also need to consider is how can I share my story of faith so the next generation might know? And some of us get a little panic. I have to write it down before the Lord, after the Lord, during the Lord. Uh, no. You just need to share what God's done. And it doesn't mean you get up and go, I'm going to share my testimony, children. You just go, oh my goodness, you know the cool thing that God did this week. Oh, this is going on. One of the coolest things I do with kids is when I get up, because I try to be super authentic with them because they smell fake a mile away, and it really irritates them. The nine-year-old nabes have told me. I call them the nabes. They think that's the coolest thing ever. Hashtag nabes. It's on Twitter. You'll find it. Um, the na they've told me, though, we're not stupid. Why do adults think we're stupid? And we do treat them like they're stupid. Like, all right, well, you're not going to understand that. They're like, we know a dinosaur didn't bite your arm, and that's how you broke it. <laughs> they just told me that one, their teacher. They really hate her right now. She's so dumb. But the thing is, we can, we can speak to them. And what I do with kids is this. When I'm speaking, if I'm having a rough day, I don't get up and go, okay, kids, God is in the house. Let's go. I'm like this. You know what? Sometimes camp is hard, and I didn't sleep very good last night. And I'm having a tough time with what God wants to say today. Would you guys take a minute and pray for me? It's so cool because these kids will reach their little hands out. And if you've ever had a kid pray over you, it is a holy moment. And they pray for me. And what I do is I invite them into my journey, and they go, she's an adult that I really like. She loves Jesus, but her life isn't perfect. Kids don't need to see perfection. They need to see reality. If you're living this perfect life, well, Dad and I only fight behind closed doors and everything's fine over here, and you'll you're not preparing them for the real world. That doesn't mean you have a fist fight in front of them. 
But that does mean that you go, sometimes dad and mom disagree, but we still love each other and we're committed to each other. And you have honest conversation with them. Last slide is this. When the church operates as the church, lives are changed. They're changed. And that's the cool thing about the God we serve. And I have story after story after story. And you might be one of those stories. I've seen kids come to know Christ and the whole family comes to know Christ. Gone are the days where it used to be if we get the man of the house, we will get the family. Culture has shifted so that really if you get the kid, you'll get the family. And a kid on fire for Jesus makes a bigger splash than any adult on fire for Jesus. Because they don't ask God to repeat their instructions. (laughs) Or say, I'm going to lay another fleece because I'm not sure if that was me or you. (laughs) They're like, okay, God told me to do this. So my encouragement to you is this, church. First of all, keep doing what you're doing. Keep at it. Do life together. We are family. Don't be afraid to invite kids into the moments that make a big impact because they need to see you. Don't be perfect. None of us are perfect. And people who think they're perfect are really obnoxious. (laughs) Right? So keep doing what you're doing, but remember this. Kids are not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today, but they will lead the way tomorrow. And if you really want to think 15 years out, your absolute most important ministry is over here to kids. Because we do a lot of ambulance service as adults, when we work with adults. With kids, we get to do all sorts of preventative medicine because they're moldable and shapeable, and we get to build into their foundation. And that's a cool thing. So my heart for you, church, is to be the church that God desires you to be. And you have to decide what that is for you individually because I can't tell you. And I don't know what that looks like for you. But would you take and receive and would you go, God, I want to be used. And decide what that means for me because at the national office and beyond that, just simply for my own life and ministry, I want our churches to be healthy. I want our kids' ministries healthy, but if they're healthy and the rest of the church is rotten, they're not going to go far. So would you strive towards health? Would you strive towards an authentic love for who God is? I'm going to have pastor come up, and I just want to bless you, if that's all right. So if you want to, I'm I'm just going to act like I'm talking to kids. Would you just put your hands out like this and receive a blessing? Because I believe that God desires to use you. So I'm just going to pray a blessing. God, I, I, I bless this community of faith. Would you deeply convict them where they need to be convicted? Would you do the work you need to do in them so then you can work through them? God, would you use them? Could we ask you, God, because you're big for a revival in our kids' lives? That starts here. And that doesn't even start necessarily with the church, but it starts with me as an individual. God, I bless them to look at their own lives instead of everyone else's. I bless them to ask you to make them uncomfortable and push them outside of their limits. I bless them to seek you and find you. And I bless them to reach this next generation in ways that we will look back at someday and say, thank you, God, because no one will look at a person, they'll look at the creator. God, we're grateful for who you are. Do what you need to do in us 
we are broken vessels. Thank you that you use broken. And thank you that you're in the process of creating beauty out of ashes. We're grateful for who you are. Amen.